0: I'm Dave Miller. This is Think Out Loud. Vietnamese Americans make up less than 1% of the U.S. population, but account for about 50% of the country's nail salon industry. Adele Pham, a filmmaker who grew up in Portland and lives in New York now, set out to find out how all of this came to be. She ended up learning much more about immigration, race, gender, economics, and even her own family. Pham's movie is called Nailed It. It's screening this afternoon at 4.30 at Reed College, tomorrow at 7 at Willamette University and Friday at 630 at Lewis and Clark. All of these events are free and open to the public. Adele fam, welcome to Think Out Loud. Thank you. You tell us early on in the movie and, and we see some scenes with your father talking to you um, that he wanted you to go into the nail salon business with a cousin who owns some salons um, in Seattle. He saw it as as a, a path to stability. What was your response to that?
1: No. Well, no, I don't want to do that. Why not? Well, you know, um, I, I, I frame it as class in the film, but some of it's embarrassment, not speaking my own language. Like, I should have that sort of close knit relationship with my Vietnamese relatives, but there's a disconnect there. And they're in Tacoma. They're actually still there. I would like to re- reunite with them. Um, so, yeah, that's a complex thing, but definitely the class issue. And, and when I was growing up in Portland in the 90s, like, you know, my generation was tired of being pigeonholed as the nail salon Asians. We wanted to, you know, be artists or whatever. Filmmakers. What was what was
0: wrapped up in that? I mean, <coughs> what did that that identity, that um, that idea of the nail salon Asians, what what was that tied class, to for you?
1: Low class, kind of miserly, um, you know, um, menial labor. I suppose doing work that you don't want to, doing it because you have to, being stuck there. Um yeah.
0: At what point did you decide you wanted to make a movie about this world?
1: Uh when I moved to New York, um really when I started making documentaries over ten years ago, of course I noticed there that uh the Asian market isn't owned by Vietnamese in New York City, right? You have to go out to at that time Harlem or Sunset Park to find Vietnamese salons again. They're all owned by Chinese in Brooklyn and Korean owned. Um, and other staffed in Manhattan. So I just knew it was a thing, and there was still such a bad reputation for these Asian salons, you know? Like, almost like human trafficking is happening inside of them. Uh, people weren't quite talking about the chemicals yet, but I thought about that. Like, the harsh smells is another reason why I didn't want to get into it. It, You know, it seemed like an environment that was unhealthy, really. Um, so yeah, it just became something for, for me to unravel.
0: Um- Part of what you unraveled um, is how the actress, Tippi Hedren, who's most well-known for her role in Alfred Hitchcock's movie, The Birds, how she is connected to this story. Can, Can you tell us how she is?
1: it's an amazing story actually npr um did a piece about it uh, it's so intriguing so that that story was out there when i started but probably more well known now that tippy Hedrin was doing humanitarian work with an organization called food for the hungry that had like a makeshift refugee camp in wemer california california and tippy um was teaching these new refugee women how to survive in America really, trying to find a profession that they would be able to do to make money to support their families in a brand new country fleeing Vietnam. And Nails came up as a thing to do. Um, And so she intervened in that way. It's quite amazing, you know? Things really do just happen.
0: It also it almost seems so conveniently a kind of white savior story um, that that when I heard that here is this, you know, blonde American actress who who wants to do good, good things for these Vietnamese refugees. uh, It's such a delicious story for for some white people to latch on to. But it's also true.
1: (laughs) My (laughs) find my my, uh, you know. Time on the case, which has been years now, I can't find another instance of a Vietnamese nail salon in America before 1975 They're before these women jumped into it. And it's not like an ancient Chinese secret vis a vis Vietnam, you know, like it was done in Vietnam, but more like a social thing, like, or a, for events. But women didn't, don't get their nails done like they do here in
0: America. You show us that a lot of the, these women, these twenty initial women um, that, that she introduced, that she taught, or, or had she had them Dusty, learn.
1: Dusty Coots Butera taught them uh, was the first teacher, but Tippy, you know,
0: introduced the, them. Introduced them. Um, a lot of the women that, that she taught, that Dusty Coots taught, um, they had led upper class lives. Um, That's in how Vietnam. they got out of Vietnam. They were the they were the wives of generals. Some of them. Did that mean that they were more educated, more likely to be able to Yeah, Nails to wasn't something here? that they
1: wanted to do, but it's such a trauma. I mean, you have to go. So a lot of them were either married to men who are high-ranking, came from families that were established or working for with the U.S. government themselves, who, you know, one of the women we interviewed was doing that. So, yes, they're educated.
0: In some ways, it seems like just total happenstance that that tippy Hadron had this idea um that maybe this could be a trade for these people who desperately need need work do you think that it that we could be talking right now about some other sector of the economy that um that it could have been you know where so many vietnamese americans well, found themselves I mean, or is there something at, about nail salons
1: there's something about nail salons but also and vietnamese women are business women so it they acclimated to this this structure and it became a mechanism for supporting your family and bringing family over from Vietnam and sending money home.
0: If you're just tuning in, I'm talking right now with Adele Pham, a filmmaker. She grew up in Portland, she lives in New York now. Her documentary, Nailed It, focuses on the Vietnamese American communities almost half century now. In the nail salon industry, how did the those first twenty women in California? How did they turn into a nationwide phenomenon? Well,
1: not all of them even stayed in nails, but some of them became social workers. Even so, then you're spreading information to large groups of people who jump into it and do
0: it. Um, there is a there's a man who who says that um, that. Tippy Hedren was the mother of the nail, but he was the father. His name yeah. is, is Minwin. Nguyen. Um, what did he do?
1: He was also a social worker, but also a high-ranking military um, officer in, in Arvin in Vietnam. Um, so when he got here, people already looked up to him. He was also educated, and he just saw it as a pathway to survival through Ko Tuan, who you meet in the film, because they're friends from Vietnam. His wife and Ko Tuan went to the same high school hmm. in Saigon, a famous high school. Um, so there you go. It's a very chatty culture. Vietnamese people look and copy um, sometimes to the detriment of the nail salon industry. But do you that's mean by also that? what makes. Well, I also address the problems of the nail salon industry, and a lot of that comes from um, price cutting, undercutting your neighbor, right? So. <laughs> If um, you're making it so you can barely survive financially, then of course the service is going to go down, and you're not going to be like, "Oh, I need to make time to educate myself about, uh, you know, best practices for my nail salon."
0: Yeah, it seems like um, Min-Win had this this idea instead of just opening another salon, he would he would um, make money a different way by by. Teaching other people how to become how to open their own salons, how to well, start a school, right? And that that hadn't existed before.
1: It had, but he also lobbied Congress to allow the state test be taken in Vietnamese. Hmm. So,
0: how big an impact did that have? That there were now schools where where even if you didn't know English, you could you could have an entree Huge. into this industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, what other industries like that for the Vietnamese refugee at that time?
0: Um, what kind of backlash was there among you know the, the non vietnamese oh the nail it, salons yeah as as um as more and more vietnamese americans started um opening their own shops i mean what did what did you know white or or non vietnamese um nail industry folks what did they say
1: i mean they didn't like it because here comes a new group of people like sometimes a family operation and um they're doing it in a whole new way, and now they drop the price. But now they have all these customers, so in a way, they you know invigorated the the market. But it's hard to compete when they're willing to do it for
0: dollar less, two dollars mm. less. That's one of the interesting things that I was wondering as I watched the movie. Um, to what extent did Vietnamese immigrants? Take over an you know a, a, an existing right, industry as opposed to it's create because of an industry. Us, but
1: exactly, we created it because we dropped the price, so working class women could come in and and do this this um, you know uh, upscale luxury. That so
0: before that, it, it just simply Not wasn't really. as common. It
1: wasn't as common. I mean, it was like Tippy Hedren, Cher. <laughs>
0: Um, how much might a a full manicure have cost before, before this sort of over revolution? Over hundred
1: dollars for sure at that time. For sure at that time. And right now, still twenty dollars. Some places, in some places, you know, you might look sideways at. I still see full acrylic sets, base base price nineteen ninety nine, which tells you something. You know, with inflation and everything, it shouldn't be like that. Hmm. Even how fast you are,
0: right. Can you describe um, a ground? But that there's an
1: expectation now for it to be super cheap, and when Vietnamese try to raise the price, sometimes people buck up against that, and their clients won't come see them. So they have to explain to their clients that it has to be a certain price, so they can buy the best product, so they can, all, so we can all be healthy up in here. Mm. And I think that's a conversation that the film could help bridge, and that's why I'm trying to screen it in nail salons. You know.
0: Have you done that? You've shown it in salons?
1: Um, not yet. I'm looking for a community partner to come come in on that, but I ha- I have I have it translated to Vietnamese, um, and I've tested it out in an 800 square foot space. You know,
0: <laughs> it works. Um, can you describe um, what really seems like a groundbreaking chain? This was in in Southern California, in in LA, I think, um, called Mantrap.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, that's the heart of the story, right there, probably. So through my research, I found. Um, Charlie Vo and Olivet Robinson, and they are the co-founders of Mantrap, which, from my research, is the first nail salon chain and happened to be in South L.A., started there, between an American black woman and a Vietnamese refugee woman. Uh, partnership, sisterhood, chain of salons, and another thing that the Vietnamese nail salon community looked, and, and they copied and replicated in every, every state you know, there's a Vietnamese nail salon doing the thing.
0: How important was the popularity of of nail art or or manicures among African American women? How important was that to the success and the spread of of Vietnamese American owned salons?
1: In in my opinion, you know, imperative. That's that's another uh, moment where, you know, nexus moment where things just happen, where things click, you know? Um, And it's because the Vietnamese brought the price down that Black women supported this thing en masse and brought their own aesthetic into it, which is nail art, you know. Typical flojo, 80s style, long, not just red acrylic nails, like nail art. Shapes, colors, bling, rings, snakeskin.
0: Can I see your nails right now? Can you describe them? They're they're, they're pretty blingy uh, right now.
1: Yeah, you know, kind of low key bling. (laughs) Um, yeah, that, so right now I have an acrylic wrap with a gel overlay that I got done at Pearl Nails, Northwest Portland. Ask for Miss Tiffany, say Del sent you. <laughs>
0: um, is it different for you to go to a nail salon now than it was before you, oh, you yeah. spent years so, thinking about this whole world? Right,
1: I mean that's where it's really a personal journey because now I have something to say, so though I still can't speak my language like, oh, I made this whole film about the Vietnamese nail salon industry, let's talk. You know, what's your story? And it's always interesting.
0: Before that? I mean, what would go through your, through your mind before when you'd go to a salon?
1: I didn't really go. I didn't grow up going to nail salons, really. Um, I think I got my nails done once when I was in high school, so it just wasn't a thing for me. But in my 20s, nail art blew up. This is before Instagram, but Japanese put their own spin on it, quiet nails, like, you know, nail art. Um, so I knew it was a whole subculture, fashion, um, adornment, art. So that's another reason why I made the film, you know.
0: You mentioned um, concern about uh, the dangers that salon workers um, are exposed to from working with a a whole suite of of chemicals for eight or nine or or many hours a day. How much do we actually know about those dangers right now?
1: Nothing. I mean, there's a lot of soapboxing and grandstanding, but there's no long term studies that really because you need to be able to prove that these chemicals kill people in order to have the corporations list the ingredients. You know, I'm worried about the dust. You know from and all you, the Yeah, you up exactly all the filing with the e file and people like to say, Oh, gel nails, acrylic but if you like the art, like you have to drill and that's gonna produce gel dust or acrylic dust, you know, so you need to have vacuum that from the nail tech's breathing zone.
0: How do the economics, uh, the expectations of what and the price should all be- on the
1: expectation on the Asian nail salons, be like, well, you guys are, should be doing this already. It's hard to run a nail salon because you need to buy all of the equipment that make it, you know, sustainable safe you know
0: do you know how, how much more it would cost um well to, you the to for, for be healthier it's not for cheap.
1: folks. it's not cheap you know and you need to exhaust all this stuff out into the street so I mean I think maybe we could look at the um uh dry cleaning industry before I think they changed some of their chemicals I guess because of EPA stuff too so it was really about the 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 neighborhood being exposed to the chemicals. So I mean, but there's a lot of smart people in the world. I feel like we could we could figure it out. You know,
0: um, you mentioned the the question of human trafficking. A few years ago, the New York Times did a big expose in human trafficking in the nail industry in New York. And as you mentioned briefly, the demographics there are very different. Um, workers there are much more likely to be Korean or Chinese or Mexican American. Did folks you talked to for your film did they talk either about human trafficking or about um the the idea the fear among you know their their clients um that that nail industry workers um have the possibility of of you know being victims of human trafficking
1: well in the u.s vietnamese american people have typically had amnesty because you know we're fleeing a communist quote-unquote country quote country and um yeah, did you, I mean, you must have heard about the this trailer in the UK with 39 Vietnamese people who died, who suffocated to death? Recently. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, right, I'm looking at the UK, and that's kind of where more of the human trafficking stories have come out, that the nail salons could be dens of human trafficking. For sure, people who died in that trailer were going to work in the nail salon industry and the cannabis trimming industry, I guess. That's what I hear. So that's a real question, and human trafficking is a real question. And Who's really responsible for that? And what kind of person, trafficker or not, would leave a trailer of 39 alive people to die like that in an industrial park in the UK where they their people just voted for Brexit? there's something not right about that
0: the film starts um essentially in in 1975 but you follow multi-generational families and and we see sort of what what the second or third generation what what young people today are 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 doing where is the industry going in terms of you know the the next generations um in these families
1: Um, it's going a number of ways i mean i think The second generation, third generation of Vietnamese people have stayed in the nail industry more than Koreans, for example, so there's that. It's also harder to open and maintain a salon, it's more expensive, but at the same time, it remains a safety net for the community because it is something that you can learn fast and get into and and really thrive at if you love it, you know, Um, you like running your own business. So there's that, but I also see the Latina community coming into it a lot. In the Korean salons, um, I've met Central American women like groups who, live, who not hopefully not live, don't live, but work together in the salon, and then the Korean managers like that because they're just speaking Spanish together so they know how to navigate the space and work together easily just like a group of Vietnamese speaking women or, mm-hmm. and men would be able to do.
0: You're working right now on a new documentary here, if I'm not mistaken, uh, about the murder of Larnell Bruce Jr. What are you interested in exploring from that incident?
1: I mean, just the, the, the history of um, racial oppression murder since day one in Oregon, since uh, statehood you know the the racial exclusion laws of the state's first constitution how that changes and becomes sundown towns unofficially and redlining and then now we're living in gentrification and where's all the crime gresham vancouver i mean it's not that hard to put the the things together right but sometimes it's hard to look at
0: ourselves adele fam thanks very much for coming in thank you adele fam is a filmmaker who Grew up in Portland. Can
1: I, can I interrupt? Can you guys, uh, can I shout out my Instagram? Because that's the best way to get a hold of me. Shout I'm out. I'm Nailed It Doc.
0: Okay. On uh,
1: Instagram. If you want to hit me up for anything. And please come through to my uh, Portland, Salem, and Seattle screenings. Thank you.
0: That's Adele Pham, a filmmaker. Her movie is screening this afternoon at Reed College. Tomorrow at Willamette University. And Friday at Lewis and Clark. Coming up after a break, we're gonna hear about a Portland nonprofit's effort to get you a better cup of coffee and put more money into the pockets of coffee farmers.